what's new? What's happening? What have you? Oh, we've been. We're gonna do. What have you been? Well, I guess we did a pop culture chit chat. We talked. We did. We did. Watching, but I need to talk about RuPaul Drag Race tonight, season sixteen. I'm hyped, guys. It's just the first episode coming out. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. It's like it, weekly. I'd it's watch it with you. I think you're just like drawn to chaos. <laughs> like you like chaos. I just wore my coffee in chaos anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you're drawn to like chaotic music and chaotic shows. You're actually so right. And chaotic. Everything is chaotic with you. <laughs> In the best way. I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I just, I see Drew Paul's Drag Race is like so like, it's like a fever dream. Anyways. Hey, what's going on with you? Mm-hmm. Not a lot. Nothing. Well, we recorded our other episode. Yes, that'll a few be out. days ago. Yeah, we already, we this chatted. A that one was a, this one. a very, very chatty one. Yeah, so I'm not, there's nothing that you don't really know. Yeah, I same. Had a good run this morning. We're going to the cowboy exhibit. Oh, yes! I'm hyped for that. We're going to the MCA, the Contemporary Art Museum. And there's a cowboy exhibit. I'm so excited. Because this is the wild west. This is the west, boys. And I can't wait. I just can't wait. I love cowboys. That's one of the things that makes me proud to be an American. Yeah, I think cowboys. what else do we have on there? CCR, CCR 9-11, docu- not 9-11, but documentaries, documentaries. about 9-11. Of course, of course. Uh, hot dogs. Hot dogs. Wait, what else? <laughs> I don't remember what else. Halloween. Hot. Oh, Halloween. And Thanksgiving. Cowboys. And what something else. Is there the, what, uh, the Road trips. Road trips. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah, so yeah. true. That's one of the most, the best American experiences. You play some Creed's right. Clearwater Revival while you're, when all you're on a road trip. Right you play, you're playing some Fortunate Son. Petty going off. Oh my god. Oh. Some fucking Steely Dan. Oh. American Pie. Bye, bye, Miss American Pie. No more Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. I think I know all the words to that song, unfortunately. I think I do too. It's one of those songs you just hear all the fucking time. It's so American. It's so American, it's man. It's so to its core. American pie. It's in the title. Oh, yeah. All right, well, yeah. What are you drinking into your cup today? I'm having my horse cup. Yeah. The mug says, I whisper, dot, 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 but my horse doesn't listen with an exclamation point. <laughs> I don't think it's angry. Well, then why does he say that? I think it's like, there... but my horse doesn't listen. Oh, okay. It's kind of like, I don't think mm. it's like, but my horse doesn't listen. <laughs> my fucking horse <laughs> will listen to me. It's actually funnier read that way. Yeah. But my horse doesn't listen. <laughs> it's just like it should a be really angry cowboy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it gets like in capital letters. <laughs> yeah. But my horse doesn't listen. Um, yes, I'm drinking pumpkin rubos. Oh, that's what I got. Which you. is what Tony got me. Yes. What, what are you drinking? Coffee. <laughs> and I got this creamer from King Soupies. It's oat milk. It tastes like yummy. Sugar. <laughs> okay, should we get into it? Let's get into it. All this. right, let's get into it. What are we talking about today? Today we're talking about indie sleaze bands. <laughs> yeah. What is indie sleaze? What is indie sleaze? You might be asking yourself. Yeah. Well, so basically, it's a. It's an era, it's a movement, it's an aesthetic, if you will, roughly between the years of 2008 to 2014. And it's very similar, if not like overlapping a little bit, with the hipster movement. Yeah, a lot of the same. And also twee. Styles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why it's kind of broad, it's kind of arbitrary, like some people say it's not even a thing. And it makes sense when you, when you, when you'll get into like when it was coined, because it's like retroactively, like people during the era weren't like indie sleaze, like, you know what I mean? They weren't going to be calling themselves indie sleaze. It was only, and that's how it works with any era. Like, they're not, they weren't like, industrial revolution. (laughs) (laughs) You know? The indie revs. (laughs) 
indie rev. What if that? Let's bring the indie rev and aesthetic back. Like we're all wearing like um like what's the word steampunk costumes, <laughs> yeah. top hats. Yes, I'm I'm with it. Okay, so the term indie sleaze was coined by a TikToker in 2021 to describe the era, which some people believe is undergoing a resurgence today. Parties and dancing were like a big part of this aesthetic. Um, the TikTok song and music video by Kesha. Oh my god. I wouldn't call that really indie sleaze, but it, that, that's like kind of the vibe. Of like, See, that's still late indie sleaze, I feel like. Like she's still sure. like going off the... the- trails of what they but the yeah but the, but the vibe of the that vibe video. of that yeah, yeah yeah just like kind of grimy grimy and like, like party dance, girl. messy yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. glitter everywhere yeah glitter okay and it's personified by celebrities like olsen twins alexa chung kate moss um mm-hmm. also the uk show skins was oh a big God, one yeah and that's also been reimagined in a way like with euphoria so, have, have you watched skins no. People have told me I'd really like it. I've heard good things about yeah. that, too. But they're uh, And I know you hate that. <laughs> but Euphoria is kind of similar, and they, they both explore, like, the dark, messy, but also aesthetic party. side yeah. of young adulthood. And, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a there's a party drug influence, for sure. Yeah. Um, partly Tumblr culture, like, in the way of, like, glamorizing mental illness and eating disorders a little bit. Also, yeah. amateur flash photography. <laughs> yeah. What, what's his name? The Cobra, whatever his name is. Cobra Snake. Who's that? He was like the indie sleaze photographer. Look at this. <laughs> yes, look at his website. But that's what he's known for is like, look, Kate Perry yes. and the Olsen twins. Yeah, like, yeah. so he was mm-hmm. the one like photographing it all. But it's just like random, like the strokes, the, you know. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Wow. Yeah, Someone like people partying and then like taking like amateur flash photography. Yeah, and then like posting dark, the Tumblr. like eyeliner. Yeah, like, like I'm in the club. I'm in the club. I'm in the club. Yeah. That's I saw a YouTube comment on this video that I was watching about it. That's it called it basically like yossified '90s grunge. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> Which is true. Um, that's like, so true. I know because everyone was like wanting that again, but they're like, we never gonna get that. Yeah, back. And so you can never replicate it. Spin. Exactly. Uh, the fashion of the era. This is what gets me. Um, American apparel. <laughs> I remember that. I remember, like, really wanting American apparel. And I was, like, too young to be wanting to wear that. But I had older siblings and cousins that did. And, Mm. okay, this is kind of random, but I was talking... This is kind of, like, later 2000s. But remember those belts, like, studded belts that were, like, the different colors? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. My my cousin, my sister, loved those. Uh, With, like, the big belt buckle. Oh, I hate it. It's so ugly. Um, Yeah, American (laughs) apparel, the clothes, also the ads for them had, like, the indie sleeves vibe. Thigh high socks. Oh, that's kind of like twee too. That's insane. Thigh um, high. Crazy. That makes me. I can like vividly picture Arctic monkeys like Tumblr threads. Yes. Like those like me socks. <laughs> um, metallic disco pants. A lot of like metallics and glitters going on. Felt hats. Which what? <laughs> Why? Please, please. Felt hats should never be. <laughs> A thing? Anyway. Destroy them all. Yeah. Um, messy hair, glittery makeup that looks, like, slept in, headbands worn, like, across your forehead. Oh, my God. Also, flower crowns, that's also kind of, like, yeah, lighter. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. more like Lana Del Rey. <clears throat> those Tumblr. bright, those big sunglasses, these sunglasses, the bright ones, they're, like, neon. Yes, like, neon sunglasses. Oh, those really ugly, like, high-heeled boots that are, like, really chunky in the front. And, okay, here's where I get into a little bit of, like, the sort of philosophy behind the movement. So, it's been described by some as, like, an optimistic response to the great, re- I got the, re- oh. the great recession. Oh, that too. Okay, but I'm, I'm thinking earlier. Both. Okay, yeah. Continue, yeah. Continue. So, like a big mantra mantra of the time that really characterized it was YOLO. Oh, <laughs> like you only live once, and that was also sort of like a, a response to the economic recession because 
it was this idea that you could lose everything in an instant and the future is fucked, so you might as well have fun kind of mentality. And then I was also watching this video about it and it said we have sort of a similar mentality now because of like the climate and the housing crisis and also just being in a post-pandemic world. And so we have the same kind of like nihilistic um, view as they did. Mm. Maybe we're not using like YOLO anymore, but we're we're nihilistic in that same way. So that sort of suggests that the philosophy is back. And then also like trend forecasters on TikTok also think, I guess, the fashion aesthetic is coming back. But I think that's just kind of stupid. Like, I think trends now are so fast moving. Yeah. And they just promote, like, wasteful consumption. Yeah, yeah. And also, I think the clothes of that time period are so tacky. They're so bad. I'm like, can we so not tacky. bring that back? I don't think it's coming back in the way they think. No. I think, like, early 2000s stuff is coming back. Totally. Like, low-rise jeans, yeah. that kind of stuff. But, like, this era is... We're not enough far removed exactly. from it. Like, no. But, like, come on, it was, like, 10 years ago, guys. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yeah. Hate how, I hate how trends now are just, like, so quick and it's... Mm-hmm. Really, like we, we just get bored and run out of ideas, so we just, like, go back yeah. to, like, okay, ten years ago now. It's like, what? Yeah, and it's just, like, also just, like, romanticizing the past that wasn't even that long ago, and it wasn't even, like, not really better yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's um, that side of it. Yeah, so I, when I was looking into it, well, I, I'll get into the music later, but I kind of look at it as, like, you have the indie rock revival and electronic music influence starting from around 2000, more like 2001 mm-hmm. to 2008. Right. Right. And that's that era. And then that leads into kind of more of like the indie sleeves that you were talking about, the like super specific, just niche aesthetic from like 2008 to 2014. Mm-hmm. But I think the music kind of blends through that. Yeah. And a lot of like, so like the strokes were popular in 2001. They released Is This It in like 2003 or something. Oh no, they released Room on Fire in like 20, 2003. Mm-hmm. But then they were still making albums like by the mid 2000s and were still right. one of the biggest bands. So it's like the influence extends. Yeah, the influence yeah. extends. So I just kind of looked at the music like generally in that era. Mm-hmm. But that was interesting. I used to talk about the like economic crisis and stuff and it was a response to that because I, mostly like how I'm going to describe this music in this era is based on this spin article called Welcome to the Year of Indie Sleaze. Um, And they talk a lot about it. And they talked to that girl who coined the term on her Instagram and TikTok page. So she was kind of saying that, like, Indie indie Sleaze was kind of like a response to 9-11 in that way, that there Mm -hmm. was, like, this collective trauma Mm -hmm. and there was, like, this anxiety about the future and stuff. So people were just deciding to, like, have fun and, like, just kind of forget about it and get their worries away. Yeah. Um, here, there's a part in my book. Yeah, you're <laughs> you so... Being out my book, I'm like studious. Okay, so this journalist, Alex Wagner, this was from Meet Me in the Bathroom. He was quoted saying about this, like, time period in New York, like, right after 9-11 happened. Um, there was a sense of there's no place to hide. Like, nothing matters and everything is temporary. If you believe in the moral arc of the universe inevitably bending towards justice, those two events are cataclysmic. He was talking about Bush versus Gore, too, and just kind of, like, the mm. political state of the time, which was, like, very grim. Mm-hmm. Well, it always is. Um, <laughs> now you knew that there were no systems or instructions in place that were going to make it okay for you. Your life was going to be something that you determined. So there's kind of this self-determinism that comes out of it of, like, mm. this is my life, I'm going to take control of it, especially for young people who already are in that state of mind. Yeah. Uh, but then also this kind of collectiveness of just, like, wanting to party and, like, go out with people mm-hmm. and just kind of, like, forget about all the horrible shit going on in the country, right. which is totally what we're seeing now, post-pandemic and everything like that, oh, and, like, yeah. with a way worse political climate than we could have ever imagined. So. Yeah, kind of funny that, like, as Gen Zers, <laughs> we, like, lived through all of this. I know! <laughs> yeah. It's, like, just in different stages. It's like, yeah. Damn. But that mentality crazy. has lasted since, like, 9-11, yeah. basically. Yeah, I feel like we've just kind of been stagnant. Yeah. Way. 
Crazy. Anyways, yeah, okay, so I guess I'll get into, like, the indie sleaze music scene then. Yay. Okay, so yeah, like I said, it was kind of, like, from the 2000s, spearheaded by groups like The Strokes, Interpol, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's, Moldy Peaches, LCD Sound System. Mm-hmm. That's all, like, illustrated in Meet Me in the Bathroom. We're gonna do, like, music history now. Let's 1994, go. Kurt Cobain dies. Everyone knows this, and this is, like, yep. tales all this time at this point is that... When the day he died, a lot of people were like, okay, rock... People have been saying this forever, that, like, yeah. rock is dead. What is rock music? And it's like, okay, whatever. But, like, that was really the time when, like, alternative rock music was, like, dead. And, like, after yeah. that, it's kind of the same thing. Is people just wanted more upbeat music. They wanted, like, mm-hmm. stuff that was catchy and fun to listen to. So then in the early thousands, you have the people that were, like, biggest making music was, like, a lot of hip-hop and rap artists, especially in New York at the time. Just following off of, like, huge 80s and 90s rap artists, like Public Enemy and Beastie Boys and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you have, on the pop side, people like Britney Spears and, like, Justin Timberlake. And those are the huge acts of the early 2000s. Right. So it's, like, very different than what it looked like early 90s. And what Meet Me in the Bathroom talks a lot about is, like, New York was a hub of, like, most indie sleaze stuff, just, like, Mm -hmm. generally. And at that time, everything that was going on in New York was, like, hip-hop, rap, that kind of stuff. Because in the 90s, everyone cared about Seattle. And that was, like, the hub of music. So New York was just kind of, like what are we doing? Like, what's going on here? So then when, once Kurt Cobain died and then the early 2000s came, a lot of people were kind of itching to have rock music in some form again. So yeah. you get, like, the White Stripes who were kind of early on to that and, mm. of course, the Strokes, and they kind of, like, broke through and was, like, one of the first new rock bands of the yeah. new era. Right. The new century. And they slay. <clears throat> yeah. They're still slaying. And they're still slaying to this very day. This very day. But yeah, I really recommend Meet Me in the Bathroom. I'll be talking about it a lot. I want to watch that documentary now. Yeah, it's really good. But a lot of people also say, I was listening <clears> to this, um, it's like a music podcast. I don't know if it's the Rolling Stones podcast or the New York Times. And I listened to one where they were talking about drums and I song Girls. And they were talking about like the Indie Sleeves revival and stuff. And they were like so mad about it. They were like, well, people are always saying that like the Indie Garage Rock revival, the early 2000s with the Strokes and stuff is like the same as Indie Sleeves. And it's not. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, but like for the purposes of this, like it all blends together. It's definitely an influence. They're at too least. close in like a time period to like separate them. Yeah. Like one is definitely connected to the other. Right. So it's like, for it's sure. important to talk about that also in relation. And plus one of my bands, the band I'm talking about today mm-hmm. is from that like early era, but yeah. definitely influenced and is a huge Indie Sleaze artist. Like with that exact yeah. image right. of what indie, the Indie Sleaze aesthetic is. So mm-hmm. in that Spin article, they were talking to the girl who coined the the term indie sleaze and she was saying the strongest figures in indie sleaze are definitely the ones that have a grungier more messy kind of electronic electronic sounding Mm. wait what electronic clash leaning sound it's definitely defined by a very strong and wild and bold persona i think yeah yeah yeah's band leader karen O exemplifies this a lot Mm -hmm. just the fact that before yeah yeah yeah's were even a band she was going to bars and partying getting drunk practicing her onstage persona stepping into the character that she that she could bring with her to the stage. Mm-hmm. So it's really about that, like, crazy, you know, vibe. Mm-hmm. And so she put together, like, a playlist, and there's tons of indie sleaze playlists out there now. Like, Spotify mm-hmm. has one. And there's artists, you know, like The Strokes, The Yeah MGMT, TV on mm-hmm. the Radio, MIA, The Ting Tings, oh, Passion okay. Pit, or Passion yeah, Pit? Yeah, Passion Pit. <laughs> My dad was bumping some Passion Pit in that day. Kind of like, He was, like, an indie sleaze king back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, La Tigre, Arctic Monkeys, LCD Sound System, Phoenix... You get the gist. I forget that Arctic Monkeys sort of is in that category too. Yeah, I think that leans into the Lana Del Rey yeah, like pose, and then and then bands like Interpol and like mm. the Libertines, or where with them it's like a, a British influence too. Oh, there's also like talk about like the queer community and stuff too, like being part oh. of indie sleaze, which is kind of cool, and especially in 
the revival of it, of like bands embracing that more because mm. back then it still like wasn't totally socially acceptable and it wasn't yeah. like a cool thing to be. Like it was still mm. like, you know, people were still like using gay as like a, like, <laughs> like yeah. gay yeah. as like a negative you connotation. Gay. Like this is so fucking gay, bro. Yeah. Um, so like there wasn't like a whole lot of room for queerness, but like obviously the presentation of like people in this era, especially people who were kind of gender bending, which happened a lot. Yeah, totally. Um, it was like really closely tied to that. And just, like, sexuality in general, like, coming on stage and, like, kind of showing that side of yourself more, going out to parties and, like, experimenting that side of yourself that you don't usually show on, like, a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. The band I'm talking about today is the Yeah, Yeah, Yes. Yay! What, yeah! Yeah! Yes. Yeah. What do you know about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not much at all. But I do know... Heads will roll! That is a fucking banger. And that is a banger. Heads will roll. I, I think that's the only song I know. I listen to Maps. Oh. So I know. Well, you know that from the Beyonce song. Hold oh, no. they don't love you like I love That's you. That's from Maps. Slow down. Oh they my don't god. Lo- they have the Yayas have songwriting credit from Whoa. that song. Yeah, if you go into IMDb, it's like that's crazy. Yeah. What a fun little reference. I know. I think that's about all I know from them. I don't know anything about them, but heads will roll slays. And I discovered Slay. that song from Glee. So Glee. It was it was a it was a mashup in Glee of Heads Will Roll and Thriller. It kind of <laughs> slapped. <laughs> it was like their Halloween episode, and they were all dressed up as zombies, and they were like. Heads will if you know, what, if you know what I'm talking about. Well, the about, cover of the, you know. the single is a little zombie guy, too. So like, yeah. Was... It has a Halloween vibe. It does. Mm. Heads will be rolled. Heads will roll. So the IES were formed in New York City, of course. Yes. In 2000 by members Karen O on vocals, guitarist and keyboardist Mark Zinner, who looks so much like Nick Cave. Not really in the face, but his hair mm. is birthday party era Nick Cave for sure. I was like... I see the style in spell. Wow. Um, and drummer Brian Chase. So the three piece is also joined by like additional touring members and stuff, but this is the OG trio. Like this is our band here. Okay. So Karen O short short for short short for Orzalet was born in Busan, South Korea, and oh. on November twenty second, nineteen seventy eight. She's a Sagittarius. Hmm. Um, to a Korean mother and a Polish father. Her family moved to New Jersey when Karen was young, and she had a fairly normal childhood growing up. In a 2018 Guardian article by Candace Pyers, she said, I had a dual personality as a kid. I was really shy with explosions of performance behavior. And she talks about, in Meet Me in the Bathroom, there's this one time where they had to do, like, a lip sync performance to a song when she was, like, in elementary school, and she, like, really got into it, and everyone was kind of, like, like, a little bit freaked out, and she was like, but that's, like, what I try to go for now. Like, because you see videos of her, and she is, like, super shy and quiet, and just, like, whatever. But she, there's this movie that came out in, like, mid-2000s. It was just, like, on-tour videos and stuff, and then I think it's... It's called There Is No Modern Romance. It's, like, 30 minutes long. I watched it yesterday. Mm. I was just showing them on their, like, first tour, and she's just drinking so much, like, getting plastered before every time she has to go on stage because uh, she just, like, needs something to, like, kind of not... Right. Yeah, not think about the crowd and, like, get into this persona. And she talks a lot in, like, a bunch of articles I read that through time she didn't need, like, substance as much because it got to a point where it's, like, really harmful for her, which I'll get into it. Um, and she was, like, getting injured a lot on stage, and so she had yeah. to kind of, like, step back from it because it was just so much... Like, touring gen- in general is, like, so hard on your body and performing. Oh, my but God. But then with that of, like, already feeling like a shy person and needing, like, alcohol and needing to, like, be extra crazy on stage to, like, get into that. So Karen and Brian met when they were both attending Oberlin College in Ohio in the late mm. 90s. Brian was studying jazz, and Karen was studying um, to be, like, a liberal arts major at the time, but she transferred to NYU because she really wanted to make a 
films. She wanted to be a filmmaker. Okay. So in New York, she meets Mark Zinner, um, who is also a film student at Bard College. And they meet through mutual friends. They start hanging out all the time. And they just have, like, this magnetic connection. This, like, understanding on, like, a different level creatively. And just, like, they're both kind of, like, outsiders. Okay, so this is a part in Meet Me in the Bathroom. So Nick. Did I put Mark? His name's Nick. Mark Zitter. <laughs> Mark the whole time. Oh, it is actually Nick? It's Nick, yeah. Oh. I knew when I said it, it was right. Oh my god, I put Nick the whole time. Guys, Wait. my apologies. His name is... I put Mark. I think I said that in the beginning. His name yeah. is Nick. Oh. Okay. His name is Nick. Is Nick. <laughs> Retroactively correct myself. The people listening will be like, she said it wrong. I'll be like, I, I found my mistakes. I don't think no one will care. Someone like no. emails are like, um, um, excuse me, his how name's Nick you say that? Anyways, Nick is the Nick Cave looking guy. Oh, that's easy to remember. His name is Nick and his Nick Cave. I can see the confusion. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know where Mark, Mark came from. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I was reading about Mark Spitz, who's a journalist, and he's in here a lot. So uh, I think I was just getting male names mixed Mark up. Mark Nick, you know. I'm so bad with names. It's, like, embarrassing. Anyways. Mm, um, so the two, so Nick and Karen start a band, and it's called, called Unitard, and it's, like, a little, like, folk acoustic Unitard. duo. This is Nick quoted in Meet Me in the Bathroom. He said... <laughs> At some point, Karen was like, let's start a rock band. My first reaction was, why? We have this cool thing here with Unitar. We're playing these great haunting ballads. <laughs> I was so Nick Cave. I was playing Sly Guitar. They're really cool songs. But she was like, no, dude. Trust me, dude. <laughs> she used to talk like a 17-year-old valley girl. Or a valley boy, actually. <laughs> dude, dude. Come on, dude. <laughs> that is you. That's just you. Honey. Um, so I started getting to the idea. We started telling everyone we're going to start a rock band and we're going to be fucking awesome. And they were you right now. Me, <laughs> me right now. Like I'm gonna be fucking awesome. You're like, dude, guys. guys, like I'm starting a rock band and I'm gonna slay and I'm gonna be so cool, dude. That's you. Going a little bit back into like their childhoods and stuff, Karen never played really any music until she was in Unitar with Nick, where she kind of started playing guitar, and the first song that she learned while playing guitar in college was a Mazzy Star song. Uh, so she really got into music, but when Chase and Zinner were young, they kind of really hold up the, she's like very like front woman, lyricist type, mm. where she's not super into music, but then Chase and Zinner were really like the professionals who had the chops that were kind of carrying it musically. Mm, the chops. So, yeah, when they were both young, they were metalheads that were super into bands like Slayer and stuff. So Brian went to school, of course, for jazz, and as a kid, he was like really interested in that, but also played in a Green Day cover band as a kid. Huh. So having them both like really into like different music, but with different styles, different backgrounds, they really brought that in. Yeah. And then of course with like the electronic kind of revolution at the 2000s, mm. they were really drawing on that as well with different synthesizers and whatnot. So yes. that's kind of their sound. So around this time when they're kind of figuring that all out, they have exactly one rehearsal before their very first show, which is opening for the White Stripes, uh. which created a lot of buzz around them. And they were, because they were just kind of in that group, like the Stripes were kind of like late 90s, but still that early 2000s New York scene. And then the Strokes were like the fucking thing. So they kind of were just friends with all those people. Mm -hmm. And that's how they kind of got into playing gigs and stuff, which is mm. like people being around. That's how scenes used to fucking work, guys. Okay, yeah, so this quote from a New Yorker article from 2022, there's a lot of articles that came out late in, like, recently because they had an album that they released in 2022, so that's where a lot of this is coming from. It's just, like, looking back on their careers. Yeah. Um, by Gia Tolentino. Hey, I know her. <laughs> yeah, there you She's go. New Yorker gal. Yeah. Oh, okay. She's written, like, she wrote, you know that book of essays called Trick Mirror? Yes. Yeah, that's she, her? She wrote that. Oh my god, I wanted to read that. They're good. You've read it? Yeah. Wow, do you have it? No. Oh. 
I got it from the live. This always happens. I'll find it. I know. Um, so it's called Karen O has found a more joyful kind of wildness, and she's talking about that first show. And she talks about Karen O, and she says, Karen drowned four margaritas, drenched herself in olive oil, and stepped into the persona that would uh, catapult the yayayas into a rock pantheon and turn her into a generational icon. She actually drenched herself in olive oil? Mm-hmm. She'd do crazy shit like that. Like, to just make her look- at the crowd, and like, just to make herself look gross and grimy, and like, wow. but then she would wear like bright colors, and like very 2000s style of clothing. Like, if yeah. you look up pictures of her, you're like, oh. I like yeah. the commitment to the bit on her oh. part. I love a commitment to the bit. Yeah. Always be committed to the bit. Always committed to the Respect bit. Do you think you'd cover yourself in olive oil as a commitment to the bit? Uh, would I don't you go think that that's far? my vibe of the bit, but I would I would do a lot to commit to the bit, yeah. Maybe not Ozzy Osbourne commitment to the bit, but... You would, yeah. like, your your commitment to the bit would just be, like, dressing like a full jester. Oh, I, oh I'm gonna do and that. And you do that. I'm gonna do that. Already. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. do that for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Catch me on stage dressed as a jester. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love when people See, like I'm totally doing a bit like that. Yeah. yeah. So then that was in 2000. By July of 2001, they released their self-titled EP, and that really garnered a lot of attention. Rob Sheffield was already covering it. He's a stan at the IAS. He covered it in the Rolling Stones in 2001 already, so they, he was on that shit. On it. Um, and by early 2002, they were playing South by Southwest and touring in support of larger groups in the U.S. and Europe. Wow. Crazy. So before they even had an album out, they were popping off. That is impressive. Amazing how bands could really make it back in the day. I know. It feels like everything... Streaming ruined everything. Like, seriously. Yeah. I, I Whatever you can say if you want about Spotify, this and this and that, I, I hate streaming. I wish it never happened. Damn. Seriously. But, but even with, like, writing and things, like, I feel like it was just easier to make a living with the arts... arts. Back yeah. in the day than it is now. So the AES were garnering a lot of attention, like I said, especially because of Karen O's, just like stage performance, she would get really crazy and just be like, step into another persona, which I just, I love that idea of that. Yeah, that's cool. So in 2006, Rob Sheffield was reporting on then in, in a Rolling Stones article, he says, Karen O is one of rock's more most intense singers. Coming on so badass, you, you swear the devil sold his soul to her. Wow. He's getting, he's getting <laughs> creative. Um, offstage, Karen O is a different person. Oh, Karen Orzalek is a different person from Karen O. Shy and soft-spoken, but with the same un, uninhibited giggle. So she's like, that's just how she is. She's like, it's like a split personality thing, which I think mm. I like about... I like about a musician because a lot of like rock star people like they come off the stage and they have that same ego that they did when they were on yeah. it and I just like hate and that. I love something about just stepping into like a crazier side of yourself, like untapping, like tapping into just like yeah. the fucking primal crazy yeah. energy. Like I love that. Just for like one purpose, and, and that's then you get to perform. And you're like, okay, yeah, I fucking. Love I feel like that. that would be like uh, therapeutic a little bit. Oh yeah, that's why I want to start a band. It's because yeah. I want to just like scream and I want to go absolutely crazy. Yes. When else could you do that? Well, you do that anyway. Exactly. <laughs> but this really gives you an outlet. What could you, you expect outlet. from a, from just a girl? Just from a girl. girl. Just want to go on the stage and scream. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, but like I said, this did lead to some problems for her later on. I won't go super into it, but like there was a scene, and they talked about it. Meet me in the bathroom where she is drunk and she falls off the stage and an amp falls on her and she gets a concussion. Ah. Yeah. And she continues the set. But then after words finds out that she has a concussion. So she's just like hurting herself a lot. Like she's just like really putting so much into it that it's taking a toll on her physically. And there was a part in that like short documentary that she basically told her bandmates like she had to cancel the American tour because she just couldn't do it. Like she just couldn't take the volume and like at the rate that she was going. Yeah. And they were like bummed about it, but it's like, well, you're not the front of the band. Like playing the music is hard, but being a front person for a band is like super, super Well, because you're like bringing the 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 stage presence. Yeah. 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 So that was like an issue for her for a long time through the career. Hmm. In 2003, they released their debut album, Fever to Tell, which has 
has maps on it. Mm. Um, received really positive reviews. Maps had tons of airplay, and that's really how they became even more popular than they were. And then their second album, Show Me Your Bones, was released in March of 2006. Enemy, Enemy was loving them, bro. They're a stan. They named it their second best album of the year that year. It was also ranked by Rolling Stone and Spin in the top albums of their year. And then after that, they kind of released like this short EP of unreleased songs in 2007. Okay, then they released their third album, It's Blitz, which has Heads Will Roll on it, yes. in March of 2009. So see, they're really, they're plowing through. Yeah, they are wow. like the spearheads of the indie sleaze because they really have it yeah. all. They have that griminess. They have the poppiness. They have electronic influence. Yeah. They have everything. So yeah, Heads Will Roll, Zero is kind of a new, newer sound for them, which is kind of like more polished up, a little more chic pop sounding, mm-hmm. but very good. And it was named second best album of the year by Spin and third best by Enemy. So they wow. were still killing it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> so by this point, the band is huge. And like I said, they're just going, doing tons of live performance performances. With the rate that Karen O is going, she just, like, needs... They all need a bit of a break. They're oh, like, okay. Yeah. So they take a few few years off, but an enemy, Karen O, reports to them that um, around 2011, she started to work on some new music, and in mm. January of 2013, they <laughs> announced that they'll be releasing their fourth studio album, Mosquito, um, which came out Mosquito. in April of that year. Skate! Um, the production on the album was done by Dave Steak of TV on the Radio and LCD Sound Systems' James Murphy. In 2014, the band goes on another hiatus after their deal with Interscope ended, but in 2016, they made some additional bank with songwriting credits on the song Hold Up by Beyonce, like oh I my said. God. Okay, a few personal life stuff. A few years prior, uh, between albums and tours, Karen O moved from New York to LA, which is a huge step because she's an New York girly. And she even wrote about it in like an article where she was like, but it's nice to go in LA because that's not my scene. Like no one fucking knows me or really cares about me that much there. Like at least by like, like she knew everyone in New York. Yeah. Or like in LA, she could just like kind of be normal a little bit. Change of Yeah, and she scenery. knew that. And she met her husband, Barnaby Clay there, who's a filmmaker. Barnaby Clay. Barnaby Clay. He's British, I believe. Oh, Barnaby I Clay. Um, they had their son in 2015, and she released her solo album of demos, bedroom recordings about romance, in 2014. Hmm. And that same year was nominated for an Oscar for her song, The Moon Song, which was in her, the Spike Jones oh, film. I love that and song. And she dated Spike Jones for a while in the 2000s. Whoa. Yeah. During their hiatus, Zinner, who also split his time between New York and L.A., played in a hardcore band called Headwound City, which I'd actually never heard of, but cool. Mm-hmm. And he released three books of photography and also toured with Bright Eyes. Bright Eyes was kind of in that. They were more twee, you know, that kind of era, but mm-hmm. they met in the early 2000s, so they were good friends for a while, and then he just picks my door, which is nice. Slay. Um, after Brian, he also had a son in 2016, and he started his own jazz label, Chicken Records. Okay. Good for him. They're just doing what they love. Yes. And... Th- it was so cute because Brian and Nick were always, like, supporters of Karen. Like, even when she was, like, getting drunk and maybe not treating them the best, like, she they would, like, look out for her of, like, what people were saying about her in the press and, like, trying to, like, sexualize her in a way that she wouldn't want. Like, they were, like, they had her fucking back. And they were quoted in the New York Times um, in, like, the later 2000s saying that, like, they were ready to start back up with the band, like, when Karen was ready. Like, it was just her say. Whenever she said it was, like, ready to go, they were on board, which is so nice. And, wow. like, what a good way of just handling a band. Yeah, seriously. It seems yeah. like they have, like, a pretty good dynamic. Yeah. E- despite all the years. So, they feel like, over the years, your dynamic in your band will, like, deteriorate. Yeah, we've all seen the fucking... Oh. Did you watch that Metallica documentary on Netflix? No. I can't, Bands, they, man. I can't believe they, they allowed them to film that and then put it out to the public. Ooh. <laughs> it was crazy. Ooh. Anyways, so the band returns to playing shows in 2017, 
where they headlined Sound on Sound in Austin, and they play All Points Festival. And so that's kind of their, like, jump back into it, and then they announced that they are going to begin songwriting again. And mm. in the summer of 2002, they announced that they'll be releasing their upcoming album, Cool It Down, which they released in September of that year on the label Secretly Canadian. So they went back, they got off Interscope, which is a major label, and went back to just some random small label and put this album out. Cool. And it has pretty big success. And Enemy put this as number 23 in their top albums 2022, and Rolling Stones placed it at 54. So, of hmm. course, the lists are getting bigger and longer, and there's more variety, but they're still up there even after all these years. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah. So, in a New York Times article titled The Electrifying Emotional Return of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs by Melan- Melena Rizik. Melan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Melan- Melena Rizik. She yes. writes, Their hope after the last few turbulent years is that their music might help others navigate an increasingly unstable world, just as it always wow, was. Wow, now that's, that's what it's done for them. When I started making music, especially with Nick, this is Karen I was speaking, mm-hmm. because of the really strange chemistry we have, I have access to rising above the pessimism. Mm. So that's kind of what they're all about. That's what they've been about. That's what they're still about in 2022. I love when that. they made that album. All right. So that's the yeah, yeah, yeahs. Cool. Yeah, So my band Whoa. is very indie sleaze. Oh, so good. And I was gonna and I was gonna cover them. Yeah. If you, but I was like, I feel like Julia kind of wants to. So then I like because I want to do the yeah yeah yes, but I really want to just like hear about them and yeah. like because their music just fascinates me. I feel like they're one that uh, they're a band that like people. That's one of the first ones that people associate with this time period mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. sure. Totally. And that people listen to. They hear. And everyone is shaking their ass. Oh my god, and you play that in any club nowadays, or any situation, ass people is, are going to be like... Ass is shaking. Yay! So, MGMT, they were formed in 2001 by two college students, Ben Goldwasser and Andrew Van Weingarten at Westland University, which is a famously artsy liberal arts college in Connecticut. And that's the thing, too, with like these indie sleeves bands, is they're very art kids. Like, they're oh, very, yeah. like, New York art kids. Like, mm-hmm. the yeah, were art kids, yeah, bro. I also sure. saw a video on TikTok of MGMT playing... Uh, talking Heads cover. This might yes, be the place. Did you see that? that? Yeah. yeah. I'll talk about that. That's so good. Um, that I played that at the university. Fun fact: Westland University is home to Vampire Weekend as well. Oh my so god! No way! They were huge musicians. Too. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So Ben and Andrew were music majors, and they bonded over a mutual love for absurdist music, and also a mutual disdain for the pop industry machine as they saw it. So like the modern pop, which music is basically industry. what's what Time to Pretend is about. Yeah, I know exactly. Make some money. Yes, exactly. So some of their inspirations were the Talking Heads and orchestral maneuvers in the dark. Oh, I love them. Mm -hmm. And they covered Talking Heads at their university. So their band's original name was actually the management to mock the corporate side of the music industry, and then they later shortened it to MGMT. That's what people shorten it to in the industry too so all their like a lot of their identity was based on this like sort of contempt for the pop music industry so uh their first two singles kids and time to pretend were written as satires of the like ideal rock star lifestyle mm-hmm. like you said let's make some music make some money find some models for wives wow um, what else can we do what did you say? I don't know. Find jobs in offices and wake up for the morning. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's great. Which gets into it's true. 
It is so true. Um, that's what both those songs are about. They also often wore like fur coats and like drank champagne while they were performing, which is so, so Saltburn. So Saltburn and so indie sleep. That was so, insane. Saltburn is indie sleep. So indie sleep. Guys, this connects to our chit chat. Everything is connected. Because what Saltburn was set in what two thousand six. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. And she wanted it to be like an air, like a you know, like a. What is that called? A, a, a period piece. Period piece, yeah. yeah. I was going to say an era piece, and I was like, that's not right. Yeah. It's alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> period piece of, like, that indie era, which she was in college. Exactly. That's what it is. Yeah, very much the same vibe. These two songs gained so much traction around campus, they encouraged the duo to release an EP called Time to Pretend. And honestly, the band even admitted that they probably would not have lasted beyond college if the EP wasn't picked up by Columbia Records. Mm. So, and that's when everything changed. So, they recorded their first album, Oracular Spectacular, with Columbia which came out in 2007 and it was a massive success okay um i feel like i have to burp Go off. <laughs> their first album features the band's most well-known songs to this day kids time to pretend and electric feel that really gets Bangers. people high. Bangers. And just these three songs in total on Spotify have over 1.1 billion streams combined. Makes sense. Makes so sense. Um, this album sold over a million copies, launching them to fame and earning them Grammy nominations. And it was Enemy's best album of 2008. Wow. See, Enemy yeah. and the Grammys love our bands here. Yes. Because the IAS have so many Grammy nominations. Mm-hmm. Insane. So ironically, these three songs and a lot of the album were reworked to have more of a radio friendly, like festival pop sound mm. that strayed from their original versions. And their original sound is more like progressive rock, which is like a a mix of neo psychedelic and new wave. Wait, that's so interesting because that's how their other albums sound. Exactly, and even the other songs on Oracular Spectacular, like the Youth, are a yeah, lot more, are a lot more psychedelic yeah. and not the same as the t- those top three. So oh those top God. three were changed to be for radio pop, play, like more like electronic to pop. fit with the indie sleeves that was popular exactly. the day. Oh and God. they did not like this. I bet they did not. They did they not hate the industry. Yeah, and also because it was like those three pop songs, like kind of overshadowed the rest. Of their stuff and the yeah. rest of their stuff was the stuff they actually wanted to make so they would refuse to play kids at their shows apparently Damn. and the tiktok kids would have had a fucking riot <laughs> yeah. they, would have, they would have been pissed yeah. on their phones they Hella. would have been pissed yeah um and yeah they sort of became known as like electronic indie pop musicians Ooh. which is exactly what they didn't want you know that's exactly what they were making fun of because it is funny that they're like literally in time to pretend making fun of the industry and like these pop stars and then that's like what the music sounds yeah. like it's like such and a that, juxtaposition it's kind of meta and yeah. that's how they became seen as as like just like indie sleaze party guys and it's yeah like, but they might not have far. gotten as popular if it wasn't exactly it's a double-edged sword it shoddy. is a shoddy <laughs> so i got one of my coworkers shoddy the other day and they're like do you just call me shoddy and i was like Yes. <laughs> I love calling people shoddy. I did. <laughs> I was like, my, my real personality is showing. I need to leave. <laughs> shoddy and shorty. And also short shardy. And shoggy. And shoggy. Okay. <laughs> shoggy. Shoggy. Um, okay. Sorry, I have to click myself. <laughs> so the shoggy is too powerful. <laughs> then they went back to the studio and made the album, their second album, Congratulations, in 2010. I love the album. Mm-hmm. So good. Followed by their self-titled MGMT album in 2013, both of those albums have much more of their progressive rock, dark synth kind of sound that they preferred. But as a result, they were 
really no like radio friendly singles from either of these albums. And so they were met with a lot of mixed reviews and poor commercial success because a lot. And it's like sad because I because I was like, damn, this band really fell off. And I'm like, wait, but they're Loki really good. Like, why is everyone like shitting on yes. them? They like fell off. And stuff. No, that's like, that's exactly the reputation um, they gained because like the Reckless Spectacular was such a big hit, and then they went back and just did what you know what the music they actually wanted to do. And people were like, "Are you self sabotaging yourself? Like, why would you do this?" And they're they were like, like, "No, we're doing what we want. We're just do. following our hearts, Literally, dude." Just making the music. Yes, you know I mean? but once you do listen to it and give them a chance, you're like okay, this slaps. It's just different. Yeah. It's just different. Like, their goal was never to make mass appealing pop songs anyway. They just sort of became known for that. So this dedication to their, like, originality gave them a cult following nonetheless. So they received, like, you know, they were way less popular after those two albums, but they still have, like, a, a dedicated cult following. And they actually admitted that because the previous two albums were so badly received, they believed they would never return to the peak popularity of their first record. Which is kind of sad. Have. I don't think they have either. They kind of bounced back with Little Dark Age, which I'll talk about, but definitely A Regular Spectacular is their magnum opus. The one that people know them for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they didn't release another album until 2018 with Little Dark Age, which was sort of a revival because they kind of mixed the playfulness that they used to make their first album with the progressive rock sound from the past two albums. So it's yeah. kind of a middle ground between them. Is that song a single, Little yes. Dark Age? That's what that brought one. them back. because it, like, yes. it was TikTok. It has to be a single. Yeah, because then it gets bigger on TikTok mm-hmm. and then that's how... That's so fucked how that's how the industry works now. I like, know. Because then it I really... Know. We just need to have a ranting episode where I can rant about the things that piss me off and stream Let's do one like, of them. Let's do an, an, a rant. <laughs> yeah, let's do a rant and also hot takes episode. Oh my god, our hot takes would be our hot takes insane. are are critically. My hate of streaming is kind of a hot take because I use it all the time. Yeah, like our podcast is on streaming, but I literally it ruined the music industry for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear about this more. I think we should do that as an episode. Um, yeah, the song Little Dark Age was their first radio-friendly pop song that was, like, you know, really popular in since Oracular Spectacular. Yeah. So, and it, apparently it was inspired by 80s Soviet synth pop, which you I was like, that's so that. true. <laughs> that's so true. That. It sounds like, what's the name of that um, 80s Soviet yeah, what do they call it? I don't know, because it's so That song is so fucking song. There's one that's like, Toka. Yeah. You're in. There's one that's like, Toka. Yeah. I can't pronounce that, but it's by Molchat Doma. Yeah. Yes. I feel like this is like good music for like driving at night. Yeah, you're like speeding, you're like yeah. drunk. You're like on the highway. I mean, <laughs> you're drunk, you're drunk driving. <laughs> just a fucking joke. It's just a joke, guys. <laughs> so, but you can see how Little Dark Age sounds like that. Oh yeah. Like, very much. Mm-hmm. Also, fun fact, the album is partly a response to the political climate of the time, particularly mm. Trump getting elected. Oh, and Andrew said in an interview with Rolling Stone, apparently we were more inspired to write pop music after evil took over the world. We called it Little Dark Age because it's hopeful. It's a little dark age. <laughs> yeah, it's that's hopeful because it's only a little it's dark age. Tiny. It's just like a cute little yeah. baby dark age. But it's so true, right? Yeah. And then in 2022, they released 111111, which is a live album performed at the Guggenheim Guggen Guggenheim Guggenheim you're the yeah. German Guggenheim <laughs> yeah. <speak> German. <laughs> uh, the Guggenheim Museum for an exhibit they did on 111 11 and they released it 
11 years later. So I want to listen to it now. We have it at the shop. Like, I see it every yes. day I'm working. And this was their first album after Columbia Records, um, after they left Columbia in 2019 and started their own independent label. And then their new album, Loss of Life, comes out in February. <gasps> and two singles from it are already out. Wait, maybe I should listen to them. If they're good, I'll review it for the you fucking You should. Yeah, it comes out soon. Magazine. I also didn't mention, like, you know, they've done many tours. They've done many covers. They also have done, you know, features on other songs, most notably Kid Cudi's Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, yeah. That's a big yeah. one. So they've done all kinds of stuff. They, they're around. They're yeah. doing the thing. So that's yeah. a shortened version of their discography. Amazing. But <laughs> discography. Dogs. <laughs> Dis- Dog. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> what you, wait, what does he say? Who put you in the planet? <laughs> He's like, who put you in the planet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, that's MGMT. They're great. They're legends. Love them. Well, guys, that wraps do, it do up. Do we want to do Fuck, Mary Kill? Oh, I didn't fucking think of it. Okay, my Fuck, Mary Kill songs are Tongue Tied. I don't know how to say this. Decepticon. Oh, the Lady Grey song? Yeah. Decepticon? Decepticon. Oh. And Paper Planes. Okay, Kill Paper Planes, I'm sorry. Too British what? for me. Um, I fight like people get high like planes. If you catch me in the corner, I got bases in my face. Yeah, you're right. Get it's more dark every second that you pay. Oh, that one. I, I just don't really love like British rap. Like, sorry. Mm, I agree with you, but that's song just that's Bob is a banger. I'd be listening to it. Um, Mary Tongue Tied. That, that is, is my fucking song. That's Emma Lilina's fucking jam. Yeah, high school bop. Mm-hmm. And then fuck the Latigre song, of course. Yeah, because Kathleen Hanna slay. I like them. Ah, oh, that's hard. I think I might have to. I would still marry Tongue Tied. I think the I'm best. gonna have to kill the Latigre song and marry Paper Planes. Wow. Just because Paper You're Planes I've been listening that. to since I was a kid. Like I've listened to that since I was a kid. Yeah, you know. Yeah. We have our we have our emotional ties. I love the Latigre one too, but it's not as I have more of yeah. an emotional tie to that one. Yeah. Especially like tongue tied and paper planes are like tongue tied is like so like two thousand ten for me. Okay, I'm gonna Switch it up with bands that we haven't really talked about. Okay. Walking on a Dream, Empire of the Sun. Walking on a Dream, you know. And then I'm going to say Dashboard, Modest Mouse. And then, what's, I don't even know, Rollin' Gregory, the Starfucker song. The Starfucker song. <laughs> this one, this was so indecisive. I don't even know if I want to do Fuck, Mary Kill with those. They're all just three good shout out songs. Let's just shout them out. I don't, yeah. Amazing. Guys, that wraps that up. That wraps I'm it up. hungry. Me too, man. And lunchtime. Lunchtime. Lunch. I wake up and lunchtime. So yeah, that's that. I hope you guys yeah. enjoyed. I hope you learned something today. And we'll be back next week with something. Goodbye. And we love you. Bye. Bye.